Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Hello, and I'm glad you're here to listen to another story in our series called Grace Stories. Everyone has a story, and everyone is on a journey in life. And the story that you're going to hear today is about someone who met God's grace on their journey and how it changed his life, and as a result, many, many others. I'd like to introduce you to my friend Suquant Batia. That's an Indian name given to him. Suk, we sometimes call him, S-U-K, the full name, S-U-K-H-W-A-N-T, Bhatia, is from India, but he was born in the Sikh religion, and that is spelled S-I-K-H. We're going to find out that he became a Christian, and maybe in this country it could never happen to you, but there, baptism can get you killed, even by your own family. But he's alive today, and he's making quite a difference in the world. With his college and seminary in North India, and with a new translation in Hindi for the Bible. He's married to Vanita and has two grown daughters. So let's listen to Suquant's grace story. I'm sitting here with a friend who I have known since the days of seminary. We both went to Dallas Theological Seminary and uh, graduated at the same time with different degrees, but at the same time and have known him uh, as a church and as one of our first missionaries. And his name is Sukhwant Singh Bhatia. And he is from India. And he's going to have to explain a little bit of his background in a way uh, to help us understand what his background is because he is from the Sikh religion in India. So uh, welcome. We're lo looking forward to hearing your story, Sukhwant. Thank you, Charlie. Good to be here with you. Uh, I guess you didn't want to mention the year, how far back <laughs> we go. <laughs> it's always risky. But we met each other in 1986 when uh, for the first time from India, I flew to U.S. and was at DTS. And uh, since then, we've been friends. And uh, now you serve on the board of our ministry. And you've been to India a number of times and also to speak at our conferences. So we have always enjoyed having you here. Well, yeah, we'll mention uh, your ministry later at the end and tell people how to how to find out more about it. Sure. Um, yes, and I have enjoyed going to India and ministering with you. Um, and you've always been a great host. But I did mention already that you're from a Sikh background in India, and a lot of people don't understand what Sikhism is about. So can you give us a brief explanation before we find out how you became a Christian? Sikhism is about uh, 500 years old as a philosophy, as a religion, a little bit more than 350 years old. Sikhism actually is an offshoot of Islam and Hinduism. It uh, came into existence right around the Renaissance times when the Muslim invaders had come to India. And the things that were helping, happening at the time, many Muslims didn't like it, many Hindus didn't like it, so they formed another 
group, which was like a militia, so basically to fight back uh, against what was happening. Later on, that military group took on the religious uh, connotation. So Sikhism became the mixture of Sufism from Islam and Bhakti movement from Hinduism. When they came together, they had certain distinctives. What they did, they borrowed from both the religions, the practices, the belief and everything. And now the main thing about Sikhism is that they believe in one God, but they don't have any name for God and they will not have any image for God. But uh, they believe in good works. They believe that uh, good works are important to be able to connect with, with God. They have had 10 human gurus who kind of were the founders of Sikhism. But the compilation of the book called Granth Sahib is considered the final guru. That's the book by which they are supposed to live by. And book basically is like a book of Psalms in the Bible, put together a lot of hymns, a lot of uh, praise to the Lord and also teachings here and there. It is made up of 26 different authors, who basically they were poets. But uh, Sikhism is still evolving over the period of time. They have three things which are very distinctive to Sikhs, which we were raised as, uh, as growing up in a Sikh home because my mom was a teacher of Sikhism. The Sikhism has a very strong concept of the holiness and the purity of God. And it, uh, in the book, describes in great length. But then also book paints a very bleak picture of the sinfulness of humanity, of men. I mean, if we are left to ourselves, there's no limit man will not cross when it comes to sinning. But the third concept, which was unique when we were growing up, the Sikhism believes that this holy and righteous God and sinful man can never be together unless we have a mediator, the concept of the Guru that is in Sikhism, who will bridge the gap between God and man. And then rest of the Sikhism, the teaching, the practice, everything is based upon the fact that you're supposed to search for your mediator and through him connect to God. Now the issue became the Sikhs settled down with the 10 human gurus that we have had, like we declared them like a saints in Catholicism or something, and we think that they are mediators and they are, we are supposed to be, they are supposed to be mediating for us for God. But they themselves ask for forgiveness, they ask for mediator, they ask for search for guru. So when I was growing up and my mom had taught me the Sikh scriptures and also growing up in an environment that everything was about Sikhism, Sikhism. But I was very young, maybe about 13 years old, when I began to ask myself questions that why there are so many different religions? Why there are so many variations or different practices? Mm -hmm. Because I grew up in a town which was primarily a Muslim town, but that's where the Amdian group of Islam started in a small place called Qadiyya in Punjab. And then I also had a lot of Hindu friends. But what bothered me was that one will worship idols, the other one will not worship idols. One will only have one wife, the other is supposed to have four wives. One believed in reincarnation, the other believed only hell and heaven afterwards, and we didn't have any name for God. So I said, if it's the same God, why does he have different requirements, different things for different people? And that's what got me started. And it wasn't until the age of 15 when I seriously made a decision that if there is God, I want to find out what this God is supposed to do with me and what am I supposed to do with him. So that's how when my journey began. Okay, so your your parents were very devout Sikhs, though. My right? mom, not your my mom. dad. My uh, dad carried all the external thing about Sikhism, wearing his turban, keeping long hair and everything. 
but he was basically an atheist. So <clears throat> when people see people uh, who look Indian and they have a turban, they're automatically Sikhs? No, there is a special kind of turban. Sikhs keep okay. a long beard. They never cut their hair. Their hair are tied up. And then there's a distinct turban that they wear on top of that. But the name is another giveaway. If you tell somebody my name is Sikhwant Singh Bhatia, immediately they will know that I'm a Sikh. Right. Because the first name are neutral. So it could be a Sikhwant, a man or woman. But the middle name Sikhwant Singh means a man and Sikhwant Kaur means as a woman. Hmm, interesting. Well, I know that the, I've always been able to identify other Sikhs by, their, by the name I see them on TV or something like that. So your mother was a very devout yes. Sikh religion. And so you were raised that way and you, you studied it seriously before you considered other religions? Yes. In fact, I was trained in my, by my mom in Gurmukhi, the language in which the Sikh scriptures are What written. is the name of that language again? It's Gurmukhi. And uh, the spoken language out of that is uh, Punjabi. Just like the Hindu scriptures are written in Sanskrit and the modern spoken language is Hindi. And uh, so <clears throat> growing up, I knew about Sikhism, I knew about Islam, I knew about Hinduism. My entire education was a Hindi medium. But when I became serious at the age of 15, that's when I started doing a serious study about different religions and different practices. And what I discovered that what people were practicing and what was written in, in their religious books were two different things. And we had come up with this elaborate, massive structure of uh, religiosity, which didn't exist anyway in the scriptures. So that became made me disillusioned. So by the time I finished my high school, I came to college. I was 18 years old. I rejected everything because I took the view that my dad had that there may be at some point God created human beings, God created the world gave us a good spin to the earth and then he said, okay, you're on your own. And at the end of the day, you make your own life, you make your own destiny. So that's what I did at the age of 18, that uh, I rejected everything. Were you on a particular educational path or vocational path that you thought you would pursue something? Well, I was very high, highly into logic and into the looking for the missing links. In fact, my degree Bachelor of Science was in applied mathematics. So when you're thinking mathematically, there's always a right and wrong answer at the end. So if that kind of forced me for everything that I'm looking for, the way does it conclude? Because at the end, it has to be therefore, hence. Hmm. And I didn't find that about the faith. I didn't find that about God. And that's what bothered me. But interesting thing that happened was that right there, uh, I met a new student, came to a college, even though he had a Hindu name, but everybody was calling him a crazy guy because he was going around on campus and saying that his sins are forgiven. He talks to God every day. If he dies tonight, he's going to be in heaven. And we all said, you know, how could anybody be so sure could say things like that? When I discovered that he was a Christian, I became curious because one of the religious books I had not looked at was the Bible, even though I had said to everybody that I read all the religious books. And I couldn't find a copy in my college in Punjab. So I wanted to become friends with him just to be able to have a look at the Bible. Yeah. I talked to him, I met him, asked him for a copy of his Bible. And to a short story, it turned out to be the only Bible he had was in English. English wasn't one of my languages, even though I learned 13 languages at the time. 13 languages. The reason because my dad was in army and every state we traveled to in India, I had to learn the local language yeah. in school. So that's how I was collecting, but my basic 
education was in Hindi medium. But he said, don't worry, I'm English teacher. I know English and Bengali. If you want, I can teach you English. Then you can also read the Bible on your own. I said, sure. So that's what we started doing. And he picked up the Gospel of John, just one of the writings. And it started teaching me English. To give you an idea how much time I must have spent, in eight months, I read the New Testament or the Bible nine times and the Gospel of John 22 times. The reason because it was concluding. And what it was concluding was not what I wanted to hear. Because every time I came to the end of the Gospel of John, John will say, if I wanted, I could have said a lot more things. But what I've written, what I've chosen to write here, is sufficient for anyone to read, study, and conclude that this Jesus is the promised Messiah. And he's the Son of God. And by believing in him, you can have eternal life. And I said, no, I'm not ready for that. I'm not. What about my religion? What about other religions? The verses that uh, really challenged me what about the verses that had to do with the person of Jesus Christ. Because when he said, I and the Father are one, I have the authority to forgive your sins, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I said, nobody has ever gotten up and said that I'm God. Deity is something that we have attributed to different gods and gurus. But here's Jesus saying, I'm the same as God. If you've seen me, you've seen, seen the Father. So that took a long time to digest. But then what eventually brought me to the Lord was from John chapter 16, verse 24, which I read many times before. In that verse, Jesus says, So far, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. And that was the first time in 25th July, 1981, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Hmm. I said, you know, I've been asking the names of these gods and gurus who have never asked me to pray in their name. In no religious book you'll find a name in whose name I'm supposed to pray. And here is Jesus saying, whenever you ask God, you ask in my name and you'll get it. That was finally a name was given to me. Hmm. But I was still not ready. Because if my family found out, coming from a Sikh background, we were a wealthy family, very prominent in the, in the town. My mom was very nervous that I was talking to the Christians, and she warned me, stay away from them. Which makes me wonder, how did you read the Bible uh, if your parents would, would be against that? Because my college was away from town, and I had a dorm room, so I used to stay there during the week, okay. and only in the weekend I used to go home. I see. So that's why, and sometimes I took the Bible with me, but my mom couldn't read English, so she had no clue what I was reading. And she thought it was one of my textbooks. <laughs> so coming back to reading the Bible, I decided to compare what Jesus was offering with all the other gods and gurus that I knew. I decided to compare the Bible with all the other religious books. It didn't take me too long to conclude that if I wanted any god, I wanted God the Bible because he makes more sense than anything else, even intellectually, even by reading and everything. But the issue was my culture, my faith, my family, my religion, all kinds of other things. So I started coming up with excuses that why Jesus was not the right one. Excuses against the Bible, excuses against the church, excuses against Christians, every possible thing. Until one day this friend who was helping me understand uh, the Christian faith, he said, Sukhwan, Make sure that you have a very good excuse to give to God when one day you see him and he asks you, why did not you accept Jesus Christ? Hmm. I went back and I said, none of my excuses are good enough. 
for me to they all just personal they are because of fear because of the embarrassment because of anything else but then john chapter 24 when i read that I mean, that six, day, 16 24 that verse when i read i said you know what the first thing i want to ask in the name of jesus is this whole salvation package i want to be forgiven i want to trust that yes jesus died for my sins because nobody else died I want to go to heaven with him because he's the only one who got resurrected and is in heaven. And rest of the gods and gurus are buried. We even go to their graves. And uh, I want to believe in everything. That was literally one of the happiest days because I felt that for four and a half years, I was struggling with the issue. Ran home, tried to explain to my mom what I had done. She didn't understand. Came back to my college for my final year. My friends didn't understand. Everybody made fun of me. Until somebody challenged me, they said, we will believe you that you have found salvation in Jesus Christ. If you remove your turban, cut your hair, take baptism. Hmm. And I said, yes, I'll do that. Well, everybody tried to discourage me. Even the pastors tried to discourage because me. Because they knew how serious. A, a, they knew a, something was coming. I didn't know <laughs> right. what was going to happen. So one pastor is willing to baptize me. And he says, but the issue is I want you to first remove your turban, cut your hair, then I know that you're serious about it. Well, I was 19 and I still consider under parents' authority because until you're 21, you're minor. No barber will cut my hair. So that also had to be arranged. So everything took from July till almost October. So finally, on my 20th birthday, I was baptized in a river, went home. I had to move my turban, cut my hair. I thought my parents would be so proud that finally I found my savior. I found... Um, my God, except my dad, dad pulled out this gun, put it on my head, and he said, if you ever come back in this house, I'm going to shoot you. And I knew he meant it. Mm -hmm. Because he said this is the ultimate shame I could bring to the family. Mm -hmm. My mom was upset. The whole town was upset. Literally, I had to run away from that town to save my life. Mm -hmm. It became that bad. That forced me to land on the streets of Delhi, where I landed up spending about five nights uh, in a park. But something happened in the park which changed my life forever from that day. I was lying down on this bench trying to sleep, too tired, hadn't eaten for three days, I was hungry, I, my clothes were dirty for five days, no money, nothing. He, you didn't pack anything to take with no, you? No, they, they won't let me take anything. My dad woke me up at four o'clock in the morning and he said, get out. Hmm. And uh, so being exhausted, tired, hungry, I started crying. I said, Lord, what is going to happen to me? I hope it was not my stubbornness. I could have worked with my parents. I didn't have to take baptism. I didn't have to do this thing. Why did I have to make it such a big fuss? All kinds of things start coming to your mind. And that night, as clearly as somebody can stand before me, but the Lord asked me these things in my heart. That Sikwant, right now, when you have no food in your stomach, no proper clothes in your body, and no place to stay, can you honestly say that all that matters that your sins are forgiven in Jesus' name, and your name is written in the book of life. But the second most important thing, he said, do you believe that I will make my grace sufficient for all occasions? And the verses that I had memorized began to flash before my eyes. What does it mean to call God my heavenly father? If he can take care of the sparrows, will he not take care of me? Not a single hair from my head falls without his notice. And that morning I read um, the book of Romans, where Paul talks about, in Romans chapter 8, that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. When you come down to verse 30, 31, it says, 
And what shall we say about these things? If God is for us, will he not with Jesus Christ graciously give us all other things? And I felt as if the Lord was rebuking me that night, saying, Sukhwant, your greatest need was protection from hell. I've already taken care of that. My best I could give to you is my son as your savior, Jesus Christ. Will I not with him give you all other things? I mean, that day I understood what it means to be saved in the Lord Jesus Christ and have that personal relationship with God. So I made this commitment. I said, Lord, I rejoice in the fact that I have salvation in Jesus Christ. I trust you that you'll make your grace sufficient for all occasions. Anything else you bring in life will be a bonus and you even have the right to take away. It must have been very hard to believe that promise after sleeping on a park bench for five days and not having anything to eat or any clothes, any shelter, to believe that he would give you everything else you needed. I have read the Bible so many times that uh, I had to make this decision. Can I trust this book? Because that's what people were challenging me at the time. They said, uh, oh, this book is bad. This is written by Christians, revised and all that. I said, out of all the options that I have, I have to put my trust in something. I have to put my trust in Gita, Quran, Ramayan, Granth Sahib, Bible, or in myself. I said, I have chosen to put my trust in the Bible. People said, it's all fake. I said, then I won't be held responsible. Let the blame be on God. Let the blame be on Jesus. Because he's deceiving me then, according to you, if it's all false. But I have decided to test this book. I have decided to put God to test. I am going to believe. I am going to trust. And I believe this book to be true. And that's what I did. So for me, I often say that I'm glad in a sense that my coming to the Lord was not because of some experience or some dream or something like that. Because whenever the tough times came, I was always able to go back to the scripture and say, yes, God, you said it there. And I believed. Yes, you said it. I believed. So for me, the words of Paul, when he says to me, live is Christ and to die is gain, it has always been there. If I die, what's the big deal? Only my process to be with my Lord is going to be hurried up. Uh-huh. I'll be at a much better place than trying to hang around, hang around over here. So you, 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 the Lord speaks to you clearly in your heart, challenging you to trust him for everything else since you trusted him for salvation. Uh, so what happens next? You didn't starve to death. Well, that's another story. <clears throat> I'll, uh, someday I'll sit with you and talk about the three <laughs> unexplainable things that happened in my life. That was one of the nights the Lord rescued me that night. And finally I found uh, somebody who took me home. They took care of me for six months, introduced me to the church, got me a little job, and I started working and started stabilizing. It wasn't until about two years later when I was settled in my advertising job in the market research and everything that my pastor challenged me. He says, Sikwan, what do you want to do with your life? And the problem was that when I left home, I tried to get back with my family, tried to reconnect with my parents. They'll have nothing to do with me. In fact, I was legally disowned. And my dad's biggest challenge when he kicked me out of the house was, go and prove to me that your, your Jesus can take care of him because he was a very rich man. Mm. So when my pastor asked me, what do you want to do with your life? I said, I want to make more money than my dad and tell him that my Jesus is taking care of me. Mm. He said, no, 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 all that thing is fine. But uh, tell me, what really you want to do? I said, well, I spent few years doubting and also creating doubts in the minds of other people that there is no God or we don't need him. I want to spend the rest of my life telling people there is God and how to have a relationship with him in Jesus Christ. 
He says, come on board. Are you willing to let go of your job? Come and work with me as my, my assistant. Work with the church and then we'll figure out what to do. So that's what I did for a year. <clears throat> Worked with him. Meanwhile, he tried to send me to a seminary because only after becoming a believer in Jesus Christ, I realized that originally Bible was not written in English. So I felt deceived <laughs> that I worked so hard to learn English. <laughs> I might well learn Greek and Hebrew. Yeah. So I used to bother him that you teach me, you teach me. And he said, no, you had to go to a seminary. You had to go to proper school. So every time I asked him, he said, we'll try to send you somewhere. Well, I could not go to any Indian seminary because they rejected me because my edu education was not English medium. They were upset that I didn't change my name. They will not accept my baptismal certificate. I was not a member of one of the mainline churches, all kinds of social um, cultural issues. Which is true in India. A lot of times when people yes. become Christians, they yes. change their name to a Christian name. Yes. And also <clears throat> the issue of baptism and uh, issue of membership in a particular church and things like that. So then my pastor said, why don't you stay here? He was a graduate from Dallas Theological Seminary. He said, why don't you stay with me for another year, work, and we'll see if you can go there. And that's what happened. I stayed for another year with the church, Delhi Bible Fellowship. And then he was able to arrange that I could come to Dallas Theological Seminary. I came here for one semester. Seminary looked at my work, allowed me to do my THM. But I had already made a commitment uh, to the girl that I knew in 86 that I'll come back after two years and get married. So I told Dallas Seminary I need to go back and honor my commitment. They said, okay, go and see if you can bring her back. So that's what happened in 88. I went back, got married to Vinita, and she was able to come back with me. I finished my Master of Theology. She was able to audit for the whole MABS. Then we went back in 91 to pastor the same church, Delhi Bible Fellowship, where I came from for eight years. Came back to DTS to do a joint PhD between Dallas Seminary and University of North Texas to return to India to set up institution, what we talked about earlier, to train people, translate the Bible, and set up a school that's an accredited and is training people in North India. Let me, let me go back to your family having rejected you, because there's probably people listening who, whether they came out of even a Church of Christ background or Catholicism, their family has ostracized them, even if they change from Calvinism to a grace-oriented theology, sometimes their family will ostracize them. But it may not be as severe as pointing a gun to their heads, but where were you emotionally through all of that? It was very hard <clears throat> when uh, my parents would not accept me because my cry at the time to my parents were, was that, why are you treating me like a criminal? I've not raped anybody, I've not robbed anybody, I've not killed. At the end of the day, all I'm claiming is that I found my savior and I'm going to be a better son now than I was before. But it was the issue of their prestige in the society, but the faith and other things. So it took eight years before they softened it and only after our marriage. When Vinita and I got married, they won't come to the wedding. Only after the wedding, they allowed us to come home. But this is what happened. Every week I wrote them, wrote them a letter and I'll explain to them from the Bible what I was learning, what's happening. Never heard any reply. When I came to the U.S. here, I used to write to them. Never heard any reply back. But then when I was at seminary, something bothered me and I started praying. I said, Lord, how could I be a teacher, an evangelist to the world, when my own family I can't reach and I can't make them understand what I believe? So I prayed and I asked the Lord, will you please give them, me the opportunity to lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ? And the Lord honored that. Mm -hmm. uh, both my younger sisters, my younger brother, and my mom 
eventually my dad on his deathbed also uh, came to the Lord. So it was a great joy mm. to see them come to the Lord. Praise the Lord. But uh, it took a long time. My mom, it took 15 years to, mm -hmm. to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's, yeah, like you say, it's not just a <coughs> excuse me, shift in religion. It's a cultural shift because your whole community is putting pressure on you. So uh, it, it's, it's a breaking with not just your religious beliefs, but your culture as well. Yeah. It is, but the bottom line issue is this, <clears throat> that uh, it's not just the issue of salvation. You come to Jesus not to rescue you, not to deliver you from your troubles, uh, from problem, because I was not a, I couldn't say that I was a sinner, some in a bad mess or financially stuck somewhere and all that needed Jesus, because most of the testimony that we hear, we, we hear testimonies of crisis. I didn't have any crisis of, the, of that sort. My crisis was about future, because one of the things that bothered me was, if there is no God, then what's the point of this life? Why do we work so hard in this life and be educated, play the game by the rules, when after we die, it just disappears like a bubble, didn't make any sense. That part bothered me. And even now when I shared about the Lord Jesus Christ, I say, it's not about this life. You've been working so hard in this life to be right. What happens when you die and afterwards? That's the focus of our thinking. Mm -hmm. So that's what was the crucial part. And uh, to have a relationship, a living relationship, a relationship that you can experience His grace every day, you can experience His promises every day, you can experience His um, relationship with Him every day, that's the best part of the whole thing. Now in Sikhism, <clears throat> what was the reward, since it was a works-based system, was there, did they have a concept of heaven? Yes, Hinduism had this what classic reincarnation where the Jews just keep going back in 84 million lives that live. Sikhism had what they call uh, one of the softer form of reincarnation that yes, they're reincarnations, but as human beings, we are given the opportunity to break the cycle and our destiny can be decided now that we can go to heaven now or we may be sent to hell now, so we don't have to go through the other reincarnations. It's a concept of good works. At the end of the day, your good works have to outweigh your bad works. The only problem is, who's keeping the count? <laughs> Would someone like your mother, who was very devout, have any assurance that her sins were forgiven or that she would go to heaven? Well, that was the tricky point on which she came to the Lord Jesus Christ, because when we used to sit and talk, Oftentimes we'll explain this and I'll tell her, I talk to my God every day. She says, well, I talk to my gods every day. I said, I have peace. She said, I have peace. I have, the Lord has done wonderful things in my life. She said, the Lord has done wonderful things in my life. When it came to experiences, her experiences outweighed my experiences. But only when I said that I have this assurance that when I die, I'm going to be in heaven. And her reply used to be, oh, nobody can ever be sure. I said, yes, you can be. That's one of the promises the Lord Jesus Christ made. That's what the Bible says. If you have the Son, you have eternal life. Jesus says, if you believe in me, even if you die, you'll be resurrected again. She could not say that. That's where mm. the block used to come and it needs to bother her. Mm. So she often used to say, oh, I'm hoping that when I die, I'll be in heaven. I'm hoping that I have salvation. And I'll say, hope in what? She said, I've never sin sinned in my life. I've never done anything wrong. But then she was comparing herself with others. Right. I said, no. We all are sinners, and somebody else has to pay for that thing. And that's that's where grace makes the difference between Christianity and Sikhism or any other religion, is that because it's a free gift, not dependent on works, we can have that assurance. 
But here's another interesting thing about the concept of grace. Sikhs have a very strong concept of grace. It's called Kripa, Guru Kripa. Kripa, yeah, I've heard that. But that has to be earned. You have to be a good, righteous person in Sikhism to be able to have God's grace. I said that's kind of oxymoron that you, you, you is, is the other way around. So the concept with the good works in Hinduism or Sikhism exists like this. That hope you do enough good works that one day you become a good person. Jesus said exactly contrary to that in Matthew chapter 12. He said, no, 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 no. A tree is known by its fruit. Make the tree good and the fruit will be good. So Bible talks more about good works than any other, but not good works unto salvation, but good works as a result of salvation. Mm-hmm. So God, Bible says you need to be made good first before you can produce any good works. Mm-hmm. If according to Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9 and 10, that's the purpose of salvation. That God saved us, gave us as a free gift, not by works, so that we can do the good works that he created before, before the foundation of the earth. It's amazing that even in certain branches of Christianity, people believe that you have to be good enough to earn grace. And so they talk about costly grace or, for example, Roman Catholicism has its sacraments that bring God's grace. So really that's not grace at all, according to Romans 11.6. It's, it's either of works or of grace, but you can't mix the two. No, you can't. Yeah. So, but she finally became a believer and, uh, and, and rejoiced after that, I'm sure. Yes, yeah. she did. And uh, she finally understood the concept. And then she herself used to say, one can never ever be good enough to claim what she used to say, demand salvation from God, that you owe it to me. See, mm. if you are doing it with good works, then you're earning it. Right. Then one day you can stand before God and say, you owe it to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where's, where's my paycheck? <laughs> where's my paycheck? Yeah. yeah, God doesn't issue paychecks. <laughs> so uh, you married Venita, and how long have you been married? This year it'll be 33 years. 33 years, and you have two daughters. Yes. And uh, in, 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 uh, one has graduated. Or no, the older one. I get it mixed up. The older one is in a. Go, you explain it. The older one is uh, doing a PhD mm-hmm. in medical sciences. She's married, just completing one year of marriage. The younger one is still in college, mm-hmm. and uh, she's doing a degree in architecture in industrial design. She still has about a year and a half to go. Mm-hmm. Now, though your training was in the United States at Dallas Theological Seminary, where we met, and um, uh, you, you could have had many opportunities to stay here and minister in the United States, but you consciously, you, you together, I'm sure with Vanita, <coughs> made the decision to go back to India and minister to the Indian population. What is, uh, just briefly, what is the need for Christianity there in India? I mean, you have one point, <coughs> how many? Billion people? 1.3 billion. 1.3 billion. And what percentage is Christian? 2.3 percent, but that also includes all the Catholics. So 75 percent of them are Catholics. And, uh, <clears throat> but only 2.3 percent. In fact, Christianity is the fourth largest religion in India. It's Hinduism, Islam, Sikhism, and then Christianity. And then a few other small ones. I say, I don't say India needs Christianity. We're not talking about religion. Hmm, right. We are talking about a savior, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I often say I didn't change my religion from Sikhism to Christianity. In fact, I say I've been a very good Sikh because Sikhism taught me to go and search for your mediator. And that's what I did. I didn't stop Hmm. where I was. I continued my search and found the true mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's what 
Paul says in Second First Timothy uh, in chapter two, verses five and six, for there is one God and one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. I say to my Hindu and Muslim friends the same thing, like what Paul said uh, to when he visited the <coughs> the, the believers and the, the group of people in uh, Acts. He says, "You've been working so hard. You're so religious. You even have names and you have altars to unknown gods." But is it really amounting to something at the end of the day? So I say to the people, same thing. I say, you are trying to be so religious. For what purposes? A feel-good factor? Or do you really want to find a savior? And do you really want to have an answer to a sin problem? I said, if that's the issue, let me talk to you about Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so it is not in some way that I'm trying to go out to convert people. I'm just going to enlighten them that what they're searching for anyway isn't the Lord Jesus Christ nowhere else? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the Mars seven, Mars Hill seven, Act seventeen approach. Uh, so the Lord has led you back to India, and uh, you were pastoring there for a while, but you came back to the United States, got your doctorate in education, higher education, higher education, <clears throat> and and tell us what you did from that and what you're doing today. Just ex explain your ministry. When I was pastoring at uh, <clears throat> in New Delhi and also involved with non-formal education, teaching at a local school and all that, I discovered <clears throat> that the greatest need of the hour, especially among the Christians, was that we didn't have trained North Indian leaders, especially in the northwest corner of India. And my heart's desire was that the kind of education I was able to get at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, I wish there was a school like that in India where people could go. Even though India has many Bible colleges and seminaries, most of them are not accredited. And there's none in Northwest India. So when I expressed the desire, I was told that, oh, you need to know what higher education is, what college is, how to run it, and then you can do it. <clears throat> so that's what I did. I came back to DTS for my PhD and uh, did a joint PhD program between Dallas Theological Seminary and University of North Texas to earn my PhD in higher education administration with a minor in uh, DTS in, in Christian education to go back to India to establish a seminary. But not only stopped there, I worked with a large organization that had a non-formal program. Then I went down to Bangalore, worked with the seminary there for three years. And I taught there academic yeah, academic yeah, at that seminary. Yeah. And then in 2003, we started a pilot project uh, of Chandigarh Bible College. That gave birth to a registered organization, educational trust called North India Institute of Theological Studies. It offers accredited degrees, Bachelor of Theology, Master of Divinity, and we can add other degrees. And this is based in Chandigarh, which is the hub for Punjab, Haryana, Himachal, Jammu Kashmir, all the different places. So it has been a long, tedious journey, but one of the hardest thing has been to convince the existing churches and the pastors who often don't have any theological education, that they need a proper training. Because so much is, to, is based upon experiences and all kinds of interpretation of the scripture, synchronizing all things from the, from the religions and the culture. But to go back to the Bible, that is the foundation. I've, sometimes I feel as if I'm doing all over what probably Martin Luther King did in, uh, in Renaissance time. So let's go back to the Bible. Let's go back to the Bible. Martin Luther. Martin yeah. Luther, yeah. yeah. Let's go back to the Bible. And that's what we're trying to do is base our faith upon the Bible and not uh, experiences. Now, when I've been to India many times, I would say, and 
you know, I see little Bible Institute signs all over the place. So it's almost like anybody can start a Bible college. But what, what is it that distinguishes um, your North Institute of um, North India Institute for Theological Studies? Like I mentioned, we have more than 2,700 Bible colleges and seminaries. Only about 150 are accredited, accredited by either the Sampur or by Asia Theological Association. <clears throat> An accredited program, anybody understands that even if you come to the U.S. or go somewhere else for education, you don't want to go someone who's running a university from their garage. But it has to be recognized by the government, has to be authenticated by some accrediting body. So that's one thing unique about uh, NITS is we are the first until today the only school in the Northwest India, which covers Punjab, Haryana, Himachal, Jammu Kashmir, Delhi, Chandigarh. There's no seminary there. We're mm. still the only one. And then we run it in a trilingual um, uh, school in English, Hindi, and Punjabi. And we also take students only from that region because that's where we want to make an impact. So in many ways, we have pioneered that. In addition to that, when we did the translation of the Bible from original biblical languages into Hindi and Punjabi, that also was the first because the Bibles that we had before, they were all translated from English KJV to the local languages. <clears throat> so we were able to go back and create a fresh study Bibles uh, looking at the Greek and Hebrew. So you have a, a fresh translation in the Hindi language, which they have not had since 1905? Well, the Bible, main Bible that we use in India was done by William Carey in 1818. <clears throat> the last time it was revised was 1905. Since then, many attempts have been made. So there's a Hindi translation of the NIV, NASB, Living Bible. So there are different English Bibles have been translated into, into Hindi. But never was an attempt made to go back to the original languages, Greek and Hebrew, and then do the translation. And pure Hindi. That's what we did. And also we made into a study Bible. So ours was the first study Bible. Now other people are getting the idea to come up with that. Mm -hmm. But ours uh, is the first study That's Bible. That's a great contribution over there to Christianity. Now, you face not only the religious uh, opposition, but it's almost similar to the political op opposition. But can you describe some of the obstacles that you face trying to do Christian ministry, especially such a visible formal ministry in your culture and society in that part of the country? Give, give us an idea of the, some of the things you have to deal with that we don't have to deal with here in the United States. See, there was a time when people used to be very, very gracious towards Christians. Uh, accepting the message, accepting the <clears throat> uh, what we have to say, and almost all charities in India were based by some Christian organizations or the other. But what has happened is that as India became more prosperous since the mid 80s, there was this resentment, uh, primarily by many of the facts of um, sects of uh, Hinduism, that uh, Christians were converting them by luring them financially which actually is not true because if you look at the total percentage of the Christians in India, since the 70s, Christianity actually has been going down, not going up. Part of the reason for that is that we can't even match the biological growth of the Muslims and the Hindus that happens in, in Christianity because Christians are often smaller families in the cities and all that. So that is not true. Second, it's an individual decision. A constitution gives the right. Uh, I can believe in whatever I want to believe. I can have that faith. So somebody else can't dictate that. So unnecessary, some people make noise about that part, which is not true. 
So we often tell we are not trying to convert people. It's an issue of converting from one religion to another. Uh, we are not even trying to convert them in the culture. We are trying to introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the Bible. And it's an individual's decision. So we have lots of restrictions, which many of them are genuine, uh, because the government wants to make sure that you're not mixing your motives in terms of uh, channeling your money to, for political causes or creating the unrest in the, in the cities and things like that. But otherwise, everybody has the right to share their faith and preach their faith, which we do, and without any tricks and traits and openly, the so government has no problem uh, what we're doing. They have problem if an organization has a mixed motive in a sense that within India they say, oh, we are doing charity, but then abroad where they're raising the fund, they say, oh, we are converting Christians, or we are doing church planting. Indian government says, no, 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 we gave you a license for charity, just do charity. At the end of the day, don't post pictures and send reports that how many churches you planted. Hmm. But we also have a church planting organization. So when we do say church planting, that's what you do. When you do is you have education, that's what you do. When you have charity, just that's what I would do. So we have separate organizations for that. Mm-hmm. Well, I if you I don't know if the listeners have caught it at the beginning of our conversation, but you mentioned that I'm on the board of your uh, or U.S. organization, Sikh Partners International, mm-hmm. which is the American half of the uh, Indian ministry and the school over there. And we're excited about what the school's doing and training people at a high education level and uh, recently have an opportunity maybe to purchase a very, very nice facility should the Lord provide the funds. So I would encourage people to check into your ministry and look at your website to get an idea of what you're doing. I know there's a lot of good information there, a, little, a, vi- a longer video um, about you. And uh, what is that website? Seekpartners.org, S-E-E-K, partners, plural, dot O-R-G. Yeah. And so... Many good things have already happened. We'll look forward to many more good things happening. <clears throat> As a final word, uh, there are probably people listening who have fought the same spiritual struggles that you did in doubting the Bible as opposed to what traditionally they have brought up with and their family has pressured them to, or culture has pressured them to believe, whether they're in the United States or listening from outside the country. Uh, you read the Bible over and over again and John 22 times. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why that was the magic number, but what would you say to somebody who ha- is having doubts about which religion is true as we conclude here? I often say two things. Number one, that uh, Bible is not going anywhere. In fact, God put it in writing. The present heaven and earth will go away, but not even a single thing that's written in the Bible will go unfulfilled. So if you're waiting for the Bible to change, that's not going to happen. What's written there is written there. That's one issue. Second, I like when Paul said that God demonstrates his love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I like that word demonstrate because Christianity is not an issue or just not a faith that one day I get up in the morning and turn the switch on. God says, reason with me, ask question. What is it that you want to know? He gives the demonstrations of his, of his grace he gives a demonstration of his love. He gives a demonstration of even reasons what we need to believe. I need to ask. My, one of my uh, <clears throat> challenges used to be from um, Solomon's life. About uh, Queen of Sheba makes a trip to Solomon to check all the way over there. The bottom line of that thing was that what Queen had heard seemed too good to be true. But then she says, I want to find out on my own. 
and she comes there and then she makes a statement she says not even half the truth was told me mm. and i'm so glad that i came i tell people the same thing i say you have heard about these wonderful things about jesus he saves he heals he gives you joy he gives you grace he gives you forgiveness sounds too good to be true well check him out and where will you check him out in the bible just look at it take him at his word find out on your own how hard have you worked to find out what people say about jesus is really true or not and you'll be amazed that not half the story is told mm. unless you read the bible not don't read about the bible but read the bible read the bible don't take people's word about the bible read it yourself and it's a good place to start is the gospel of john yep. that's a very good place yes, to start yes yep well sukwan we appreciate you spending the time with us and telling your story it's always a fascinating story to listen to and uh, it, it's living proof that god's grace is sufficient and that what he started with you in <clears throat> as he says in Romans 8 uh will will he not give you all everything else that you need and so here you are today the head of a very wonderful ministry in India um and with a great future so we appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing that with us today thank you thank you for having me even my own words are a refreshment and an encouragement to me to be talk about the lord talk about his grace talk about the salvation and uh, i often say i'm a story that still has a long way to go even i want to be amazed how god will end it well <laughs> we'll we'll look forward to an exciting <laughs> ending and we just thank you again as sukwan says we still don't know the end of our stories but we know that with jesus christ it'll be a good ending Look up Seek Partners International and see what he's doing with North India Institute of Theological Studies. You can see the introductory printed paragraph for the information and website or go to seekpartners.org. That's spelled C, um, I'm sorry, S-E-E-K, partners.org. And why not do what Suquant suggests? Read the Bible for yourself. That's all he did. Look at Jesus' claims that he made about himself and you decide if those claims are true. And if those claims are true, why not trust in him as your savior from sin and for the gift of eternal life? You can do that right now as you're listening. Whatever you do, would you please subscribe and leave a note so that this podcast will be heard by more people? And always share with others, especially this message, because there's so many who will need to hear what Suquat had to say. For now, until all here, grace and peace. Thank you for listening. For more resources, or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.